Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. I am here with Marilyn. Hey, guys. And it is just the two of us, which is great. I'm sure you're excited to hear us each like talk straight for 30 minutes apiece. Um, so get ready. Get ready. Fasten your seatbelts. Um, today, we are going to talk about running off the bike. And we're going to talk about kind of specifically how to do it well and what might be getting in the way of you, your ability to run quickly off the bike. And I think the, the kind of the situation we were talking about is that it really depends on your background as you're coming into the run, as far as like what enables you or what makes the run challenging off the bike. So I, I think we're going to spend a lot of, a lot of today's podcast talking about how you get there, how you get to the run before you actually start running is going to really affect like what happens once you dismount that bike. And I mean, yeah, some of it is how well you can run. And we'll talk about that too, and how trained up you are in, in order to run well off the bike. But I think a large percent of it, of it is dictated by what you do prior to immediately getting off that bike. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that we were talking about too, is that like, there's a there's a few disconnects too that we want to talk about and co cover is, you know, one of them being if you come from a run background and you're actually a, a really fast runner, you know, it's one of the most popular questions I get. And, and one of the hurdles that I've had to help people get over when they get into triathlon, they come from a great run background. They're a really, really fast runner. And then there's this disconnect of being able to run well off the bike. And I think that's something that is going to be important to address where we think people could learn some things and, and figure out where that disconnect could be. And then another question I get is people who are quite strong cyclists, and they're very concerned about the fact that their open run times being a, a marathon, half marathon, 5k, 10k is not that different than their run pace off the bike. And so they're wondering, you know, could I be a lot faster runner off the bike if I go ahead and address these open runtime uh, limiters and, and is that actually something that translates and, and where the disconnect there could be. And then the third one that we were talking about as well is do those open run times correlate across the board, the same for amateur athletes as it does professionals. So you'll see, you know, we were talking about for a pro male, if he's looking to run somewhere around three hours off the bike, there's a really strong correlation between him being able to run somewhere in that 235 to up to 241 open marathon. And, and it translates over where we see quite often with amateur athletes, they might be able to run some pretty fast open marathons, but then it doesn't always translate well into their, their Ironman time or their Ironman marathon. And so where could these disconnects be coming from and, and what can be done about them? And, um, so I think that that's going to be fun to, to touch on these topics today. So let's, let's dive in and let's start out with that, with that fast runner that is, you know, they can, they can run pretty quick on their own. They've got some pretty fast PRs in, in run standalone events, and then they're getting to their triathlon and they're really struggling to put together that quick run leg. Um, yeah, I guess, do you have any, any go-tos that if you're just having a conversation with an athlete and they're like, man, like I can run, let's say they can run a, a two forty-five open marathon and they get to an Ironman and they're looking at like staring down the barrel of a four hour run. 
Um, and, and I would say like what I think about in like a, in a open in order to compare to your run off the bike, if you're looking at more than a minute, a mile in a marathon, then you're kind of above the deviation in which you should be. So this person is like three times that, um, yeah. Do you have any go-tos that you talk about to that person that is, you know, adding over like almost an hour and a half to their off the bike time from their standalone marathon? Yeah. I mean, first of all, if someone is just coming straight from a really strong run background, the most common thing that I'll notice, and I noticed this right when I first started coaching is you, if you ride with them, you can see that they actually have really good aerobic conditioning and aerobic capacity, but they tend to go to a really light gear on the bike and, and spin. And so they're, they're developed real, their engine is developed really, really well. They're used to being able to work at a high rate of, of their top capacity. However, running well off the bike, if, if that's, that's going to be a big limiter. And, and the reason I'm setting up this question with these, these pre-thoughts is, it's most of the time related to their bike. If they're not able to access their run, their good standalone run in a triathlon, in particular an Ironman, the first thing that we've got to look at is what's happening on the bike. So A, how, how are we developed on the bike? What is the depth of our fitness on the bike? What kind of bike training are we doing? What is our fueling like on the bike when we're out there actually racing? And then the last one is, how is our strength on the bike? Are we able to actually, you know, produce a lot of power on the bike and not have that take a lot out of our legs to be able to run? And that's where I talk about that. They end up, you know, you see them spinning a lot more. So that's the most common thing. If a runner comes to me and they're, they're just not able to access that great run, they run standalone they have a good standalone history, standalone marathons. They might even be strong in the gym. Oftentimes you'll see these athletes, you say, oh, if it's a strength issue, we'll put them in the gym. They're actually able to lift pretty heavy and pretty athletic and strong in the gym, but it's more of a bike problem. So their run problem is actually a bike problem. And in that situation, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I, I picture myself when I first got into the sport where I was an okay runner and I struggled on the bike. And, but if you looked at me, I had, you know, these wee little chicken legs and, uh, and compared no one, to now, well, compared to now when I've got slightly larger chicken legs, um, believe me, if you saw, if you saw a then and now photo, you'd be like, okay, they are slightly larger, but <laughs> still chicken legs, but you know, um, but yeah, where I, I just couldn't push hard on the pedals. And if you asked me to if you asked me to climb, you'd be like, oh, well, you know, Jesse's like a short guy. He's decently light. He can probably climb pretty well. But if you, I run out of gears and I'm trying to grind away at a cadence of 60, I couldn't do it. Like I just couldn't create enough force to go on the pedals. And so my climbing was actually pretty bad. And that was like, everyone was like, what's going on? Like, why can't this, why can't this little runner guy climb? And it's like, I just didn't have the muscular endurance that I needed in order to push hard on the pedals. And then like you're talking about where that comes into play in an Ironman is I could spin along fine and like go. Okay. But then by the time I get done with the ride, I'm like, well, my legs are totally fried because I have the aerobic capacity to do this, but I do not have the muscular endurance in order to keep moving after doing the ride. And, and that was a, like a pretty big limiter for me for a long time. And that I see that like what you're saying with, with a fair amount of, um, of runners or kind of people like that, that get into the sport that, yeah, they can run quickly. Maybe they're, they're a pretty efficient runner. And so they think that'll hold true, 
but they just don't have the muscular endurance. So yeah, that's one thing where I'd say, okay, like how much riding are you doing and what does that riding look like? And, and oftentimes people aren't riding enough and, or aren't riding hard enough in, in order to successfully complete the bike leg that they want to execute and then still be able to run. Um, yeah. And it's even the depth of the bike fitness, you know, so you can say to someone like, okay, well, they're primarily a runner and they really enjoy that and they want to be a triathlete, but you know, for most of the time outside of their actual focus build to a race, they like to spend most of their time running and they maintain their cycling through short, hard trainer sessions and a few medium length rides. And then they go, okay, well now I'll get into my race block and I'll start adding in, you know, the, the duration of rides that match my race. And then they're good to go. And they think, well, because I'm so fit with all the running, I do this should all transfer over as well as I, you know, maintained a bit by doing these short trainer sessions. The problem with that is that for those types of athletes, their depth of bike fitness isn't big enough. And so the actual amount of in, in, in what they should really be doing in that off season time outside of their race build is biking a lot you know, instead of running a lot, but we like to do what we like to do. Right. I mean, if you're a great runner and it feels good and that's what you like to do, that's generally the way people go. However, if they continually are able to run as well in the Ironman as that you do with an open marathon, or just even what you back up and training over and over again, it's often that in that period of time out from your focused training block, you should be spending just an enormous amount of time riding your bike. And that is going to make you the better runner when you get into your race block where you focus back on the running again. So that's a, a mistake I've seen happen for a few athletes, you know, over the years. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's, if you have that efficient run, then most people are like, Oh, well, I need to run a lot to maintain this. Cause this is like my strength. And, and I think that they probably don't need to do as much running as they think they do, especially like assuming they've got, you know, some years of running and like, we're assuming they have some decent standalone times. They can probably back off that run a bit and be okay. And focus on what is their, like, I guess, weakness in this case and getting that bike a little stronger so that they can, like, even if they're running slows down a little bit in training, but like we said, like in the example, they were what, almost an hour and a half off of their, their runtime. So even if they run like say 20 minutes slower than what they're actually capable of, but that's still like an hour faster than they were running, you know, you kind of like you're a win there. So, so yeah, I definitely agree on the, the riding and yeah, I don't know. One of the things I like to have uh, most of my athletes do is basically maintain the ability to ride three hours all year as, I mean, you know, maybe not all year, but like as, as kind of a minimum of like, okay, if you're going to race Ironman, like doing a three hour ride is kind of like, kind of like your baseline where, or if you're going to do like a, let's say a 16 week build to an Ironman, you've got to come in and you got to be able to say like, okay, you can do a three hour ride, like without even thinking about it. And, and then kind of have 16 weeks, just kind of as an example to build from there where you're not like, you're not kind of building up to a three hour ride. You're like, okay, now we can jump we can jump from three hours to four hours pretty fast and, and really start like hitting the gas pedal for how much and how hard you're riding. Right. What about uh, these athletes who are actually really strong cyclists and they are actually pretty good in their open, their standalone times. We were having a conversation about a particular athlete on this. He is like a top, top tier athlete. One of the best cyclists in the sport could ride really fast 
um, standalone in training could run pretty fast. You know, those standalone times were, were pretty quick or even in like a running race type situation, pretty fast. And, but was it just, there was a, and has big bike volume, has good bike strength. So the bike is not an issue. You know, the, the bike is very well trained. The depth of fitness is trained. The strength is there. Um, the speed is there actually in open, in running and open run training. But there's a disconnect as far as being able to run in, well off the bike in, in a race. Let's talk about that because that can be like a really frustrating place for some athletes. What's like, we, we both kind of talked about this before we would, you know, there's, there's some really dialed in things to look at there. I, I feel a little bit like you're throwing daggers in my three Oh six, but, uh, <laughs> no. we'll, we'll just table that one for a little later. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a great place to start diving into the execution of the bike leg, because I think that plays a really big role into how someone that kind of meets that criteria ends up running off the bike. Um, I think we've got a few different areas we can look at. We can look at how they're fueling, how they're hydrating, especially for their needs, how they're actually pacing the power on the bike. And by that, I mean like kind of their variability index. And then last up, like, what percent of their thresholds are they planning on and or executing the bike at? And I think those categories really dictate how that person is going to run off the bike. And th those are a lot of variables to manage for 112 miles. But, but yeah, I think that's, if you, if you can nail all those boxes appropriately, that's when you can execute your run, but that's a pretty hard thing to do. Yeah, I would say the the big one that I see, like just to just to touch on it, is for some of the the bigger guys that sweat a lot. You know, if you are racing really hard and you're out there, let's say let's say you're riding four fifteen for 112 miles, and you're a bigger guy and you're racing at the front end of the field and you're just burning through a ton of calories and your if your sweat rate is very high as well. And, and you're only have four hours and 15 minutes to replace all of that, to be able to run, you know, three hours or better, it becomes a, a game of how do we replace all this in order to, so it's like, if you were fresh, yeah, you could run a 241 marathon. However, even, even with a really strong cycling background and all the right training, you know, there it's such a short window of time at such a high work rate to try and refuel that becomes it becomes such a big fueling issue, right. And, and right. just hydrating enough. And especially in a hot race. And if you're, you know, if you're a bigger, a bigger male pro or, or even a, a bigger female, you know, that kind of thing, it, it, it becomes a real fueling game and, and how do we prepare for that and be able to handle that? Right. Even if you just have a high sweat rate, you can be a small person with a high sweat rate and you're in a situation because yeah. like, I've got not a crazy high sweat rate and I need minimum two bottles an hour. Yeah. Plus calories, plus salt. So we're looking at, you know, minimum, I'm trying to get in like, um, 400 calories plus two bottles of water, plus a little bit of salt every hour. And that's a lot of stuff on my gut. If let's say I was a bigger guy or somebody who had a higher sweat rate, all of a sudden you're, you're that two bottles an hour is going to three bottles an hour, maybe four bottles an hour. And it's like, you know, okay. Like maybe you've done a beer mile. So you're like, oh yeah, you can drink that much. That makes, that's, that's okay. <laughs> um, but 
but what the trouble becomes is that like your gut at some point just can't process all those things every hour when you're riding pretty hard. So even if you're like, okay, I can physically squeeze four bottles of water in my mouth and put in 400 calories. Like sometimes it doesn't matter if you can get it in your mouth because eventually it's just going to be sitting in your gut. And so at some point you've got to give up some of that. Like maybe it's a little less calories, maybe it's a little less water. And, and that's also in a perfect situation, like sitting on the trainer for four hours. Like you're doing this in real world conditions where it might not be easy to grab bottles and drink as much as you want and do all that stuff. So basically it's pretty impossible to end up at the start of that run being totally fueled and totally hydrated. Right. And that's when, that's when those athletes need to be extraordinarily fit. You know what I mean? I mean, their volume, their overall total training volume needs to be so high that then, that then when they get to the marathon, knowing that they're going to be a little bit, a little bit depleted, of course, like you talked about the, the, the pacing strategy is going to have to be really important. And, and, you know, you touched on a really good point with that, um, variability as well as how they're, how they're actually applying, applying the power and executing the course and, and how that's going to play out. And, you know, but in order to hit the marathon, regardless, especially if it's a hot race, if they know they're going to be hitting that a little bit depleted, um, you know, you want to be very, very fit and, and very lean as well. You know, you're that sort of strength to weight ratio is going to be really important and your ability to just hop off the bike and know you're going to be a tiny bit behind and still run well, that's going to take a huge depth of fitness and, and a lot of volume for that type of athlete to be able to do that. Yeah. And like, again, it's like having enough bike volume so that even though you're doing all that stuff, that ride doesn't kill you. And then enough of run volume so that you have the efficiency and economy in your run to get off the bike and say, okay, like I only need to run, you know, six fifteens, and I know I could run this in five forty fives if I was fresh. So I have like that 30 second window because I'm starting out a little bit behind, um, or, you know, whatever that is based on your kind of your goal pace, but like you, de- you need to have like that, that kind of cushion of what you could do in an obstacle situation and what you're going to do now. Um, which is kind of how we started this, right. Is that how, how big of a disconnect should you have there? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I think that's like you, like you said, you need to have a little bit of that cushion because you are going to be a little bit tired. So you're not going to be able to run like a perfect, your perfect pace, but you want to be able to run close to it. And that comes with that, that depth of fitness in which, what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and one thing we, yeah, we talked about it too, is like that, that pacing strategy, I think plays a huge role in how your legs feel too, and how you prepared for the pacing strategy in which you're going to employ in the race. Um, like you look at like a flat race, like Arizona or, or Florida or something where it's pretty easy to stay steady. I think that can be much easier on your body than if you're doing a race, say like Chattanooga, which has a lot more punchy climbs where you have to, you can't just say, I'm going to sit on 80% of my FTP for four hours and 15 minutes. So you have no choice, but to go a little higher, a little lower. Yeah. And even if you're in a dynamic race where there's a lot of tactics that play out, right. I mean, if you're having to respond to every single one of those surges and, and um, you know, then you have periods of time, even like, you know, Arizona, where there's a lot of, you know, there's just that whole first lap is really about being able to be in different 
different race tactics and respond to them and not have it completely kill you. And um, so, so that's an important thing to make sure as part of your training so that you're able to run well off the bike, you know? Um, I think all of that, all of that comes into play and in, in real specific training, training environments and how you're, how many calories you're burning, what kind of calories you're burning, you know, is it a conscious decision of, Hey, maybe I need to not be a part of these tactics so that I can run well off the bike. I mean, that's always going to be a decision that people have to make at some point. Do I play a part of the tactics to be a part of the race and it helps me? Or do I just sit off of this and ride steady and execute a very steady race so that I'm able to run to my best potential? And those are going to come into play with like, what was your training like? How do you handle that? How much, you know, how much does that actually take out of your legs? You know, are you someone who sweats so much that when you go that hard and, and play a part of the tactics that it's just going to be sort of on a suicide mission, you know, all these things you need to know about yourself so that you can like I, I have this saying, you know, nothing slower all day in an Ironman than walking. So every decision you make on the bike is going to make, set your marathon up. And that is where you have the most time to gain all day. You know, I mean, you can ride super fast and be a part of ride to your best potential and be a part of all the tactics and that. But if you're walking for 10 K, I mean, literally nothing is as slow as walking on a marathon. So that's what we're really trying to avoid and set up and, and make sure that you're able to, to keep running to your best ability. Yeah. And I mean, even just like, you know, if you get pretty far away from your potential running, like, I mean, just to reference Chattanooga, because I don't mind throwing myself under the bus here, like the end of the run, I was running like eight thirties and, um, I mean, yeah, it was hilly, but that's over two minutes a mile slower than what I should be running. And, you know, that, that took my marathon time from like, I was on like, I don't know, 258 pace or something until the last 10 K and all of a sudden I'm running like a 306 or 308 or something. And, um, yeah, it's like straight up comes down to what happened on the bike. And I think this is actually one of the most valuable things I see in getting any sort of testing done is you can see like that metabolic curve as to what happens when your power gets higher on the bike and how much glycogen you just start ripping through. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, that first 40 minutes, if you're way over your threshold, then all of a sudden you're like, well, that was like you know, 1200 calories in the first 40 minutes of the bike after the swim. And that's a situation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a situation. That's a situation. <laughs> like you are now a day's worth of calories down and you've got seven hours of racing left. So enjoy. <laughs> yeah, um, this is going to be painful. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. And I think like taking, if you can get testing and see what those numbers are, or just like, you know, you look at, any, any websites out there that kind of give a chart like that, where you can see, okay, like when you're going that hard, how many calories you're ripping through. And, and then like you were talking about earlier, do you have the muscular endurance even to handle that alone? But from a caloric standpoint, yeah, going hard at any point on the bike is going to have a real impact in how fast you're able to run after. Let's also just address real quickly. I know we've been a little bit bouncy all over the place, but I think that's sometimes fun um, about the runners that, you know, like I, I think I touched on this just a tiny bit, but we didn't dive in is the ones that are strong cyclists. They don't have a fast open 5k or 10k or marathon, but what they are able to run off the bike, isn't that different than what they run open? So, so these people they're you know, they're a strong cyclist. And a lot of times from a cycling background, you can see with these athletes, they're actually like what they can do on the bike. So let's say their threshold heart rate on the bike is 170, but also their thresholds heart rate 
is 170 on the run. Usually there's a difference, right? Usually if your heart rate threshold is 170 on the run, it's only like 160 on the bike, but a really, really strong cyclist they can do on the bike. They can work, bring their effort level up as high on the bike as they can on the run. So you'll see that really often in that case. But so what they do, and they might even, I've seen it where what they do in an open 5k or 10k is actually slower than what they do off the bike. So how do we train these people and help them run faster and faster off the bike? Because, you know, they're already handling the bike really well. They're already a really strong cyclist. Their best run performances are off the bike. So how do we make them even faster off the bike? Yeah. For this, I picture like really strong people, right? Like, like guys that I would not want to get in a bar fight with. Right. (laughs) Um, but they, so they have that muscular endurance, that strength to ride really hard. And then, but then maybe they don't have that like run economy to, to get their turnover up or or run, like run smoothly, efficiently and be, be fast on the run. And they've kind of spent, spent their time running, like, you know, kind of fast shuffling or I don't mean that in a derogatory way, because a lot of those guys can go really fast, right? They can, they ride really hard and they can run like really steady. Um, and so I think that, I think that if you're in that situation, then I think it can be really beneficial to learn how to run fast and then have that correlate back. I mean, you need to be careful because you don't want to lose that bike strength, right? You want to keep that strength high. So like you can be a big, stronger person and then still learn like, yeah, I guess the one thing my brain always comes back to this like turnover work in general, I, I picture them like having, like we were talking about the, the runner who rides with a really high cadence. I picture this, the cyclist who runs running with that, like kind of pretty slow cadence, like maybe longer strides, slower cadence and, and really getting them to, to work on getting the turnover up while they're running, work on that, like slightly different muscular engagement and, you know, make it so they can get their heart rate a little bit higher. So they have a little more run efficiency. They can, you know, rip some fast 400s on the track and you know, fast for them. And then, and then they can use that once they have a little more run speed standalone that, sh- that could definitely bring up the run speed in triathloning. Yeah. So would you say like, would you spend more time with someone like that doing fresh standalone running to get them to know what it feels like to run with better, like just better speed overall versus like you might have the runner do a lot more runs off the bike. Right. So they're running under fatigue all of the time. That's what I would imagine. Like someone who's a great runner and they don't really run, have the strength to run well off the bike. You might have them do like a five or 10 minute transition run off of every single bike they do as well as their bricks. But I, I wonder, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm asking you this, but I'm sort of giving my answer. Well, I ask you is I would think that for the cyclist type athlete, that if we want them to learn this run economy and what this feels like and the turnover and running a little lighter, I, we still want to train them as a triathlete, but I imagine there'd be a lot of benefit to them learning what it feels like to run fresh as well and run fast and, and that kind of thing. Would you, would you spend a lot of time doing that with an athlete like that? Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would do the same. And I think one of my favorite things to do is a, early season 10 K. Uh, we, we have the, a race in town called the sun run. And I really like having my, especially cyclists or people that want to increase their, their run speed, do, do a 10 K early season. I think it's kind of like, 
that perfect distance where, where they're working on that run threshold and they're spending a lot of time running at 10K pace where they're not blowing themselves up trying to run the fastest mile or even trying to run 5K pace, but really settling in on, on getting that their, their run threshold up for and, and getting a little faster turnover and moving faster than they probably ever have on the run. And yeah, executing hopefully a good 10K. And then, and then usually they come into the season, you've got that bump and run threshold and it just makes the rest of the runs for, for the year a little bit faster. Um, Do you have a good experience with that transit translating into Ironman? Totally. Yeah. Okay. Cause I've seen it sometimes where like, um, you can take athletes exactly like we're talking about and their 10 K time gets a lot better and their half, like their 70.3 gets a lot better, but then not actually trans transferring over into Ironman. Um, so I'm just curious, what has been the recipe there that you've seen it like successfully all the way up to the Ironman distance? Convincing them to ride a little bit less hard, <laughs> but, sure. yeah. but they have the, I mean, you, you need to have the run speed in place, right? Cause if you don't have that, then in general, like it's, you're never going to just, it's not going to magically appear on race day. Right. Um, but I, I mean, I was, that was kind of a joking answer to give you because, you know, I, I don't have like a miracle answer, but, but I do but think no, that it's kind of a miracle answer, right? I mean, it is sort of, sometimes it is just that simple. It's like, well, just don't ride quite so hard, but, <laughs> and I mean, we're talking like 10, 20 Watts. It doesn't change a whole lot in your, in your bike split. Maybe, maybe you're three to six minutes slower on the bike, but if you run 30 minutes faster, because you're able to stay that much more on top of nutrition and you feel that much better. It's, it can make a big difference. Um, but, and I do, but I, I will back up that like, if you, you do have to have that run speed going in, because if you haven't practiced any faster running and you ride a little bit easier, you're probably just going to run the same. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we, regardless, if you have the strength endurance on the bike, the 10 K threshold translates pretty well into the Ironman marathon. Is that something that you found? Well, so it's kind of like gas 0800s, right? right? They predict your marathon time if, right? right? So having that 10K like threshold a little higher will translate to Ironman if. So if you're doing the other pieces, if you're doing your long runs, if blah, 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 if you're doing all that stuff, then yeah, I think it could definitely right. be correlate there. Good. But, I'm, it's just, I think it's important to say those types of things because, you know, someone who struggles to run fast, they might just say, well, I'm just going to solely focus on get my 10 K time down and ride my bike. Like I always have. And then that's going to make me run a faster marathon. And I think what you said there is really important. It's like, yes, this is a piece that I could help you a lot and help you improve a lot. And raising your 10 K threshold is going to make you a lot fast, faster and your run economy a lot faster. If you get, that's the type of athlete you are. However, you still need to make sure that you're well-trained for a marathon. Right. I mean, that's right. the, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I love that with the ASO 800s, you see people give you their 800 time and they're like, Oh, I'm ready. You're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't exactly work like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about, let's talk real quickly about bricks and they're heavy. Well, yeah, if we're talking about running off the bike, well, you know, people, yeah, they're heavy, <laughs> they're heavy in all places, right? Bricks are heavy. Don't be. Um, so if, you know, running well off the bike, if that's our limiter, whether, so we've brushed on like all the different 
places that you can come from and where you might be able to make some corrections to, to run well off the bike. One of the unique things about our sport is practicing that really specific, you know, bike to run brick. And tell me a little bit about some of the bricks or give some examples that you find are like those key ones for, you know, for your athletes to be able to do well in, in 70.3 Ironman short course, are they different? Those kinds of things. So I think just having like a bread and butter, like you do, for example, a Saturday, decently long ride with a brick off of it. And you do that every week for a really long time. And maybe it starts out the year as 15 minutes and that's fine. And maybe as you're getting closer to race, it grows from 15 minutes up to say 45 minutes off of your long, longish ride. I think having something like that, that's like a staple in your training for a really long time is, uh, it's just necessary, right? You need to be practice, practicing that all the time. And then you have rides that are probably really hard and you come in really tired and maybe rides not so much, but you kind of experience the gamut in, you know, 40 of those Saturdays leading into a race. Um, and then another one that I do much less frequently, but I, I see some big gains is the, the kind of shorter ride, longer run where let's say it's a 75 minute ride, 90 minute ride with a fair amount of work in there. And then you do like 75 minute, 90 minute run off of that, where you're, you get some muscular fatigue from just even that run. And you're, you're coming into a calorie deficit because you're getting like, you know, three plus hours into a, a really big training session. Um, I think, I think doing that, you know, even if you just do that once in a training build, maybe, maybe twice, but I think that can be really beneficial to teaching you what it feels like and teaching your body what it feels like to kind of go through that past that two hour mark of, of training while you're trying to run pretty like quickly or steady. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have athletes do even up to, we call it like the metric Ironman. So, you know, oh, yeah. like 112 at race heart rate or power, and then, you know, two hours or 26 K off the bike and use heart rate so that you get a, um, you know, better relationship to what heart rate looks like under fatigue versus fresh. Cause those look different as well. And, and doing that in your build, that's a really good one. There's also some really good, like run bike run ones where you move through the different efforts between Ironman and half Ironman that go on for up to five hours. And if you can move pretty well between the two zones, then you've probably got it dialed in really well, what your actual efforts and paces are. Sometimes I'll do bricks based off heart rate or, or based off power and paces so that people get a good understanding of what those are and how different they are, because obviously our, what our legs feel like and what our heart rate looks like off the bike is much different than when we run fresh. So if we're going to do like a 90 minute run with eight by one mile in there fresh, that's going to look different in terms of heart rate in relationship to pace than it is if we did a three hour ride before. So we need to know what that looks like in a race. So do some work on that kind of stuff. Um, I've certainly done and seen a lot of athletes that I've trained with where we do, you know, up to a four hour ride with work in it and then jump on a really flat measured track or like, you know, whether it be a bike path or a road, um, or an actual track where you're doing 800 or mile repeats up to 90 minutes or two hours worth to really dial in pacing and, and see what that pacing feels like and watch the metrics of heart rate and that kind of Ouch. stuff. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was part of a squad for a period of time where one of our staple bricks was, you know, a four hour ride and then right into 21 800s on the track with the 200 recovery jog. And so that was a pretty big day, you know, I mean, by the time you do the four hour ride with say, you know, there's about two and a half hours worth of work in it broken up into intervals and then jump off, jump off the bike right at the track and do 21 by 800 on a 200 recovery jog. You know, you really get a sense for what your body's going to feel like towards the back half of a run in, in your 70.3 in your marathon. So, so those types of workouts aren't something I prescribe to a lot of athletes, but certainly plenty of my Ironman athletes, we do the short runs off the long bikes. And, you know, like you say, the, the staple 45 minute steady runs off the bike, or even, you know, a 30 minute run with some hill strides, that kind of stuff. But having sometimes those longer days where you start to understand the relationship between pace and heart rate and power and whether it be fresh and then under fatigue, I think can be really, really helpful for people learning how to run well off the bike. And when they go to race. So you touched on something in there that I, I think it does have a pretty, a pretty big impact. Um, also those sound like some really hard sessions, uh, right? Yeah, those... I might steal a couple of those things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're hard, <laughs> but, um, is, is the whole heart rate piece. And that is something that I, I think that people you're right. Like maybe underestimate is, is how high your heart rate can be when you start running off the bike and how that feels and, and maybe like how you can try and control that a little bit, because I think I, you know, you see people that start running and they might have a pretty high heart rate and maybe that freaks them out. And they're like, Oh, I better slow down and start, start walking or kind of slowly jogging to try and try and work on that. And I think it is natural for your heart rate to be a little higher. And, and I think, especially if we're dealing with heat, I think that's another like kind of big, big element here that if you're dehydrated and you're hot, then your heart rate's going to be pretty high. And I think if we're, even if we just take a step back, like we've been talking about kind of running quickly off the bike for the last bit here, just being able to stay running off the bike when your heart rate is high and you're hot. Um, I don't know. Do you have any strategies to help, help people with, with just that, that part? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you're like, you're simple. So slow down. No, just joking. <laughs> I mean, staying cool, obviously cooling strategy. It's the same thing we talked about what oftentimes how we feel when we hop off the bike or how we feel at the start of the run, it has to do with the bike. So if you're, if you, if it's a hot race and you know, you're able to stay cool on the bike, that's going to set your run up well. And then that first, one of the things that I've had some of my athletes do on really hot races to execute a good marathon is to start with a 500 milliliter water bottle in their hand. And it can be just like one of those grocery store plastic ones that crumple up, you know, start with that, with your, um, nutrition and your, a little bit of nutrition and salt in it. And your goal is you carry that in your hand. You have to one that, that carrying, that's going to slow you down a little bit. Cause it's awkward, right? So you're not going to go blasting out of the gates, carrying this little bottle Two, if your goal is to finish that 500 milliliters in the first 5k or first three miles, then you're going to get a whole 500 milliliters of fluid with calories and salt in that whole first front end of the run. And because you're doing that, you're probably also putting a lot into your stomach, which is also going to slow you down a little bit. So if that's your only focus in that first 5k is I've got to have this bottle and by the end of it. I've got to have it done by the first three miles or first 30 minutes or whatever comes first. And then you can just toss it and get into your run. 
I, I've seen that save a lot of people's runs on on hot days or just in general, you know, for a marathon or a longer run. That's been a really good strategy and tactic used for people who tend to take off out of the run. It's hot and maybe their heart rate's really high and they're and they are pushing through that or ignoring it and they're heart, having a hard time settling. Then that can be a way you can trick yourself into just slowing down a little bit and getting enough fuel on board in that first bit and getting everything settled down. So then you can find your rhythm and, and get into a good, good long run pace. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy how one minute slower for the first three miles can be 20 minutes faster in the end. Right. right. And I think, you know, it's easy to lose sight of that when you start running, especially if your leg, you're excited to be off the bike and you know, your legs feel decent, but yeah, really, really kind of easing in. And, and I also, I, sometimes I talk to people about breathing too, because I feel like once you switch to running all of a sudden you, you switch to maybe just like upper chest breathing and you don't really take those deep breaths anymore. Cause you're kind of like getting that quick cadence and you're trying to run a little bit. So really getting people to slow down, really focus on breathing deeply. And, and again, trying to get that heart rate down, trying to think about keeping the heart rate a little lower as they're kind of building into the run instead of just coming out of the gate hot, like we were talking about, and then getting into like, you know, super shallow breathing, getting really behind on fluids, and then just kind of snowballing out of control until they're walking. Right. Uh, the other thing that I've seen actually on the opposite end, if anyone's experienced this is having people who, when they actually get off the bike to run, they're used to say they always run fresh in training and their heart rate is a certain way. And then they get off the bike to run and actually the heart rate is like 10, 15 beats lower than what they're used to. And so then they ignore pace and they're trying to hit, get their heart rate up. So I've definitely seen that. And that might be that same difference that we were talking about between a pure runner hopping off the bike or someone who is more of a, a cyclist off the bike. Maybe they're, you know, I'm not exactly sure where what sets up the difference in the two, but I have seen athletes where they hop off the bike and their heart rate is actually quite low compared to what they're used to in training from fresh running. And so they push to get their heart rate up and they forget to pay attention to pace. And all of a sudden they're like, oh man, I was running like, you know, 30 seconds per mile faster for that whole first 10 K. And then I exploded. So there is there, there is both cases and both scenarios that I've seen happen pretty commonly. So being aware, I think that's why doing those bricks in training, where are you that athlete who, when you hop off the bike, your heart, heart rate skyrockets, and you've got to spend some time settling it down and finding your rhythm. Or are you one of these people who, when you hop off the bike, actually it's pretty suppressed from being fatigued. And rather than pushing to put your heart rate up, you use a pace strategy at the start end, and then your heart rate, you know, sort of gets into its groove as you get going. So you know, just going back to practicing that and training and saying like, which one of these am I typically over and over again in all kinds of conditions so that you're aware of that when you go to race and, and respond in the right way. Right. Cause the whole idea is I think the common theme and dom denominators are saying here is regardless of which one you are, you want to make sure that that front end of your run, you're not taken off, you know, too fast so that later you end up walking. I mean, that's, that's really what we're, you know, trying to achieve by setting up these strategies and these awarenesses and these opportunities to learn these things about yourself and training so that you're able to know that for sure on race day and respond accordingly. Yeah, totally. That's yeah, definitely good to think about. Um, so 
devil's advocate question for you. Yeah. What, what about someone who's like, well, I want to start out quickly because I'm no, I'm going to fade. Like how much of that do you say? Okay. Like you can start and, and they're like, Oh, I need to get in a good rhythm. And so I want to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm running quickly for as long as I can. Do you, uh, do you give people leeway with that? What do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I think, I think it just depends if it's like, you know, you're never going to be so far away in a race than what you do in training. Right. So if you are someone who typically is going to run, you've proven in training, you can hold eight thirties for a marathon over and over again, through multiple different sessions, testing, all kinds of things, your fitness, all directs in the, in the sense that, Hey, you can successfully hold eight thirties. And if you're like, well, I'm going to take off at 745 pace because I know later on I'm going to be running 10 minute mile and that should all work out. I think that's a suicide mission. And I would always absolutely say no way. Absolutely not. Now, if you're going to say to me, look, I'm going to start out at like 815s, 820s, knowing that I'm probably going to fade down to right around nine minute mile pace or, you know, eight. 840s, 845 later on in the marathon, because in most Ironman cases, we, we do, you know, rarely do you see someone negative split a marathon in an Ironman. It just doesn't really happen. So if we're talking in those sort of parameters, I think that's reasonable, right? But if we're going to just go on, like the first example I used of just a straight up suicide mission, you're trying to say that you're something, you know, you're completely not, you, you don't run that fast for a marathon. So why would you take off that fast just to fail that much that drastically later? That just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, if it makes sense to someone else, that's fine. But for me as a coach that I would say, no way, absolutely not. That's not our plan today. But if it's in the, the smaller margins, knowing that pretty much nobody negative splits, um, an Ironman marathon, I would, you know, leave wiggle room there for sure. How about you? Um, no, I totally agree. And I was just thinking about a, a fun experiment for, for the people that want to say they want to start out that fast is, is like, say, okay, well, let's practice that in training and let's go start something really fast and see how you feel at the end. <laughs> because, you know, I, of course I've, I've done all these mistakes myself and I've started out way too high in an Ironman marathon. And let me tell you the last 10 K when you start out a minute, a mile faster than what you can run does not feel good. It is just Maybe the worst feeling the ever. mushroom clouds, like the mushroom cat cloud down the road. And that's yeah. it. Like that's their whole coaching race debrief, just emojis of mushroom <laughs> clouds. That's right. all we need to say. I'm not saying any more to you. Let me know when you've got it figured out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes her a rough back half. So, um, so ah, yeah, but I'll that small window makes sense. I think it's, yeah, you're going to, yeah, your heart rate's going to drift up. You're going to have some muscular fatigue. You're going to slow down a little bit, but you want to keep that in as narrow a window as possible to have the best time possible. Exactly. And, and yeah, I think it's important to remember that, you know, if you set out a goal of negative splitting a, a marathon in, in an Ironman, that's a really tough task to take on. You know, I don't, it's not impossible. I'm not saying it's never been done. And, and maybe that's something that is personal to you to want to achieve, but it's a very, very hard to task to take on. So I think as long as you're, you know, the, the game of Ironman is just slowing down the least as possible. So if you're able to slow down the least as possible in an Ironman marathon, then you've done a really good job. Yeah. If your goal is negative splitting and you miss by like a minute or two, Dang. then I'd say that's a huge success. <laughs> yeah, right? Big success. Hats off. <laughs> for yeah. sure. Cool. 
Well, I think, you know, I think as far as running off the bike, I think we've given some people some pretty good things to think about. You know, what's your background? Where do you come from? Where are your strengths and weaknesses? Where are some things that maybe you could look at in your training in terms of just like where the holes might be that you could improve on your, your actual training for where you're struggling, you know, coming from a run background, a cycling background, what do your open times look like? What's your fueling look like? What's your pacing look like? Um, you know, brick, different brick ideas and strategies, but, you know, ultimately our whole goal in a triathlon, yes, we want to swim, bike and run well, and how do we get there so that we're never walking on the, on the run. That's like, you know, I think, I think we've given people a lot of really good things to go and dig into and dive into. Totally. And I mean, now is probably a good time for most people. Maybe you have one race less left of the year. Maybe you're done. Maybe you're heading into your off season and maybe you say, okay, like you do want to do a 10 K or something. And you kind of come up with an approach that looking at all the things you just talked about, looking at how you want to set up your year, like now is a good time to take a step back, evaluate all that stuff and then think big picture where do I want to get to? Where am I now? And then what is that best path for me as an athlete? And so, yeah, now it's a good time to have a little heart to heart with yourself about where you're at and how you can run faster off the bike. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. Fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much.